0: This episode is brought to you by Nosto, the world's leading commerce experience platform. Nosto enables personalized shopping experiences without the need for IT resources or a long implementation process. Stay tuned for a special offer exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. This episode is brought to you by Cogsy. Cogsy helps modern brands make smarter inventory purchasing decisions that optimize their working capital and frees up cash to fund growth and marketing initiatives. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life we'll talk about their climb to the top their stumbles along the way and the steps they took to get them to where they are so tune in to get inspired listen to some real talk and enjoy the show Welcome to episode 63 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Matthew Jung, the CEO of Last Crumb. Nicknamed the Rolex of cookies, Last Crumb is a direct-to-consumer luxury cookie brand that offers Michelin star quality cookies handmade in Los Angeles and sold nationwide via limited edition weekly drops online. In this episode, we dive into how Last Crumb launched only 11 weeks ago. They haven't spent a penny on paid media, they've been selling out in under 10 seconds each week, and how customers are scrambling to use Apple Pay simply to be able to place their orders faster for a $140 box of luxury cookies. While nibbling on a Last Crumb cookie myself, the best macadamia nut cookie I've ever had to be exact... I talked with Matt about the experiences he's had along his entrepreneurial journey that have brought him to where he is today, why he prioritizes experience first, brand second, and then sales at Last Crumb, and what he thinks his strengths are as CEO. Tune in to hear all of this and more. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm super excited to hear how you got involved with this insane company called Last Crumb. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. uh, It's been pretty wild.
0: I normally start this show with like, what's your childhood like? Talk about what you wanted to be when you grew up and like go through your entire career journey. But because you sent me the largest box of cookies I've ever seen in my life, that retails for what, like
1: $120? $140.
0: <laughs> it's the biggest box I've ever seen. It's huge. Thank you for sending me that. I now will weigh 500 pounds. But You're welcome. I, so I have two in front of me right now. I'm going to be eating these throughout the show. Um, I have the What the Fuck Velvet.
1: Okay, great.
0: Really good. They're all really good. I'm. Sure they look amazing. I haven't gotten through them all yet or tasted them all yet um but the attitude of this brand is just the best like i'm obsessed whoever is writing your things for the back of these cookies has so i want to meet them like who are they i want to who is this person i want it's like you want to be their best friend it's totally. so compelling i mean listen to this it says Red velvet is a complicated flavor most folks can't put their finger on. Besides, maybe your slightly robust aunt who lets out tiny moans of delight with each forkful at Christmas. Anyway, because of its difficult, complicated taste, it's notorious for being the most half-assed dessert in the bakery. Most bakers just take a chocolate cake, drench it with red food coloring, and call it a day. Not us. (laughs) I mean, and literally under ingredients, it's like, red food coloring, question mark? Go fuck yourself. (laughs)
1: <laughs> totally. What the the, hell? I, I i kind of describe it as like very like Anthony Bourdain-esque, you know, it's like kind of in your face and like unapologetic and really fun, but at the same time, intelligent and like yes. witty and like, it's not, uh, it's cool. I, yeah, yes. I think that, you know, it's funny. So my experience joining Last Crumb, because I think it's very similar to what you're kind of experiencing now, was Uh, I was introduced to the founder, Derek, through a mutual friend. And I had just left a startup and I was, I kind of waved the white flag, you know, We all exhausted. And it was basically like, fuck, what am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. And this guy I knew said, Hey, I know this guy, Derek, he's launching this luxury cookie company. In my head, it was like first red flag. And <laughs> right. and then he's like, and he, his he's an amazing baker, and it sounds really interesting. And he's looking for someone with a really unique set of skills. It kind of fits like what your experience has been in the past. You should talk to him. And I think like there's something here because I know both of you pretty well. And I think that you guys will really mesh. Wow. And so I, I, that's what I said. I said, all right, yeah, like anyone that's a friend of yours is a friend of mine. And so mm-hmm. I we got on the phone, and I was talking to Derek, and... It was really interesting and we had this great call and it ended with, I'm going to send you a box of cookies and then let's just talk again. Because I wouldn't say that I was just like jumping in with both feet, basically saying like, oh my God, I can't wait to join this company. Uh It was more of like, this is kind of interesting. Like you guys have a lot of stuff to figure out, but like, huh. Mm -hmm. And then, and then he ended with a line that I think is a great way to start, which is I want to build the Rolex of cookies.
0: (laughs) And that was the end. And he's like,
1: I'll talk to you later.
0: That's awesome. and, I like the Rolex thing. I've, heard, I've seen in um, some media articles you guys have gotten. It's called like the St. Laurent of cookies, right? Oh, interesting. I, like I haven't seen that. Yeah.
1: We try to keep it Rolex because I think it's classy and like kind of badass. Yeah. Uh, but we, it kind of like haunted me, I would say, because it's just like a really, I, you know, being someone who I would consider myself like into brand and into marketing mm-hmm. beyond just like being a founder.
2: Yeah.
1: That's like a really powerful statement. And it also to me was kind of like a challenge. It was like, well, I don't know if we could do that. It's like, right. Can we really pull that off? Maybe we can do that. Like, I don't (laughs) know. This is really ambitious. And so then I got the cookies and I was like, all right. And the cookies for me, you know, candidly didn't come in the same packaging that you have. So it was like early days. I mean, this was, and also not that long ago, which I think is an important narrative to this story that like we can kind of circle back to but mm-hmm. this was in February
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay so I got this box of cookies and it it was like oh these are big bigger than I was expecting <laughs> really and
0: big. And it's like share with cool. people and I'm like what if I don't yeah. have anyone to share with I'm just going yeah. to be a fat like how does this work 100% For
1: and here? also like it's in COVID and I'm like okay well my wife is gluten-free so she's my not gonna husband's eat any.
0: gluten-free <laughs> and so i'm like oh well,
1: i'm screwed and so we ended up having her, some of her siblings over who we were kind of like quarantining with and i wanted to see i always like to see how other people interact with products mm-hmm. because i'm a horrible judge of things uh i kind of describe it like really good wine people which i am not you know and they like start talking about great wine and like all this stuff and you're like yeah. i don't know like it tastes good or it doesn't taste good
0: chuck whatever
1: i feel like with like kind of like brands and like i was in fashion for a while like i just know a little bit too much so like Mm -hmm. i care about really weird things that honestly don't matter to normal consumers that are really important to me for some reason and i wanted to see how like just people like interacted and so what we did was and these are the like things that kind of really sold me on this is the cookies came and everyone was like oh my god they look amazing Mm -hmm. then they said oh we have to share them and i was like oh that's interesting. That's not normal. Like people don't normally think like I want to share, which now adds like experiential. Yeah. Then they tried them like, oh my God, this is like audibly. Oh my God, this is the best cookie I've ever had. And I was like, wow, like, this is like crazy, you know? Right. I, and, and then it just like kept going. And so I shared the cookies with other people as I was kind of exploring the opportunity and continued to talk to Derek. And the response was exactly the same from everyone, which was, oh my God, this maybe is like the best cookie I've ever had. Like, what is this brand? Like, this sounds really cool. You should like maybe think about getting involved. And-
0: Now, did they have the names of the cookies already or was it just
1: yes. like- they so did. so they had, they had the names of the cookies, but they didn't have the same cookie bag yet. Okay. So those were on order, and the boxes uh-huh. were on order, but they hadn't arrived yet. So prior to
0: themselves are amazing, though. I mean, like oh my you god, have like fifty cent, when life gives you lemons, the floor is lava. The like other not today, I- Mr. Yes, Muffin Man. Not today, but- yeah, exactly. Netflix and Crunch. Macadamia, like because yes. you wanted an excuse to use the word "damn." It literally says that on here. It says because white chocolate salted caramel macadamia is a mouthful, and we wanted an excuse to say "damn." I mean, <laughs>
1: like, it's so good, and so i'm so amused. That's kind of the next phase that I got was like, oh hey, actually, we've developed the whole brand. Mm-hmm. We just haven't released it, and the cookie. We actually, no, no one really knows this, but we actually have uh, seventy-two other unreleased flavors that are already fully done and like finished. And so for the way I was kind of thinking about it for me getting involved was, wow, this product is ridiculous. This brand, it's like, if you look at a brand, like a stool, it had two of the three legs and they were kind of missing, like someone with a little bit more ops experience, someone that could help like go to market, kind of like get it kind of over the finish line. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wouldn't say like It was me that was like that linchpin at all. It was more that like, that's the phase that they were as a team starting to think about. And I think that they were ready to really like dive in headfirst into like going to market. And it was just kind of like perfect timing that that's when we met and we got to like jump into this together. Because I can tell you 100% if I had met these guys a year ago, this is not the company that I would have created. Because like, this doesn't, this isn't, it doesn't resonate necessarily with the way I would have approached developing a brand or building it. And like, I think it's been a really interesting experience, like being, I guess, the CEO of this company that I didn't found
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: it's not my voice. And so it's actually like a really, it was, it's been really interesting to kind of be more of a steward for someone else and helping them bring their idea to life than bringing your own idea to life. And it's kind of the thing I try to remind myself constantly of like this I am part of this company, but it doesn't mean that it has to be my vision, in right. certain aspects. And so, that's so. I guess I was introduced to Last Crumb very similarly to you. You got this big box, and mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous, and it blows your mind.
2: Right. And I
1: think that it pays off, in my opinion, at least in like our early beta stage, the idea that we we truly are building the most luxurious cookie brand in the world.
0: hundred yeah. percent.
1: And I believe that to my core, and I think that believing it and knowing it will actually help us to be successful. It is not marketing fluff. Like there is no yes. BS here at all.
0: Yeah, the the cookies are absolutely amazing. They're really, really good. It definitely is not just marketing fluff. It is through and through. It's a great product. Um, but the box is pretty damn cool. I mean, you have it's super the cool. damn box written on it and then open it up and it says never crumble. I and mean, it's like, who comes up with this? Who is this person? Like, yeah, I need so to know who they are.
1: They have like a whole team of them. The Cole is a really amazing, like talented copywriter that they, they worked with. Um, we wow. worked with an agency called Truffle in Beverly Hills that worked on the packaging and the design. And, you know, Derek and Alana, the founders, had a really strong vision for what they wanted mm-hmm. in terms of the product and how it was going to be paid off. And I think that one of the things that I love about working with them is that they have a intense attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like a really important thing that someone has. And I'm actually like really glad that my job isn't to necessarily have that like perfect attention to detail. It's more to like keep the boat moving Mm -hmm. and to like keep it moving faster and bigger and do all that. And then they can kind of call the No, we need to like, this needs to be perfect. It's not 100% because it creates a really good, I think that's the great friction of any good company is when Mm -hmm. people can, you can't think about everything, right? Yeah, 100%,
0: yeah. And that's when it gets hard. And how did the, you know, this drop model is kind of becoming a thing now, right? It started and was inspired by luxury Streetwear, but now it's kind of being a thing with among a bunch of other brands and industries. Why the drop model? Why did you guys decide to start with that? So
1: that I think came about really organically. So originally, when they hired me, we we met in Miami, which was wild, uh, and it was super fun because we'd actually never met. So they hired me. We were in COVID, and none of us had ever met each other, and so this is the first time we'd ever gotten together. Mm-hmm. And the original idea for the brand was to be um, subscription. Oh which is cool. And I think there's something interesting about that. And they have we have some really cool ideas around some cool membership stuff that mm-hmm. I think will be cool down the road. But the way kind of we decided to approach it was that the most important thing for the company was the customer experience. Everything that you just are experiencing today. The, yeah. the box, the unboxing, it arriving, right. the product tasting phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then the second most important thing, because I th- liken what we're building to similar to be like luxury fashion, mm-hmm. is that The brand is the next most important thing and maintaining the brand integrity, not just like going everywhere, keeping it really tight. And -hmm. then I think the third most important thing is sales. And so I believe that we looked actually, so this is going to sound horribly naive, but I actually didn't really realize that drops were like a thing in food for the most part, aside from like you living in your city and like on Uber Eats, they do like a burger drop, which I think like everyone does in every city now. And so. I think one of the reasons that the drop uh, release mentality kind of works really well for the Last Crumb is that we came to that business model in a really organic way that had nothing to do with saying we want to capitalize on this like business model. It's kind of like when startups are like, "We're going to be SaaS because we get great valuations and like that's what investors want."
2: Right, right. We
1: didn't do that. We basically said, you know, we looked at what are our current capabilities, is like in the kitchen. What are our current operational capabilities? Mm-hmm. What do we even know? and and then what's the best way for us to build the strongest brand in the fastest way that actually truly has integrity and isn't like full of shit Mm -hmm. and the thing that we stumbled into was saying well let's do releases and and it kind of makes perfect sense for right where we are today and right now and we're not i would say static we're we're dynamic and that we're thinking of other things. We're thinking about like different ways that we can engage with our customers and like enhance the experience, make the brand even stronger. And I think that the, so I wouldn't say that like we approached it like by saying we want to build a drop cookie company. Mm -hmm. We approached by saying there's the perfect model for the early days of what Last Crumb is. Yeah. And it will evolve and change and uh, grow over time. Um, And it also stemmed from like, you know, I laughed. I was like, does anyone know how much these cookies are going to cost? And it was like, (laughs) and we all looked around and it was like, no. And and then the second big thing was, well, does anyone want to buy them?
0: Right, for $140? Like anybody, even if it's a drop, like, is there enough urgency to validate the price point?
1: Totally. And in my experience, if you build it, they generally don't come. Right. And so we were really... Intentional with the way that we like launched the company, and so Mm -hmm. we officially only launched. I want to say we're on week fifteen, if you include the couple weeks where we did some seeding. Mm -hmm. So we've only actually sold cookies for eleven weeks. Um, The first four weeks, we just we gave them away. Um, Not a lot of cookies, but we were really just like stress testing shipping. It's mm-hmm. like, we don't even know, like, how's this going to go in shipping? Right. And, like, there's a lot, there's more that we don't know. And so like, I, yeah. you know, putting on my CEO hat, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to fail like a thousand ways. Like, <laughs> this sounds great, but like, there's th- like, this isn't going to work.
2: Right. And yeah. it's
1: not that it won't, it's that, all right, let's figure out what are the problems that we want to solve for. Mm-hmm. And then let's figure out and see organically what happens. And I would say that we... Yeah. We had good preparation. We had ridiculously high intention with everything that we did. Mm -hmm. And we got lucky. And I I don't say that to say that, like, we just showed up and it, like, worked. And, like, that's all it was because it wasn't. We've been working our asses off. Mm -hmm. But I will say that sometimes it's, like, right time, right place. Good preparation is, like, a thing. And I think that we're coming at the end of COVID. Things are starting to open. People are freaking tired. You know, they, like, want to indulge. And I think that it just, we, we make a really cool product that makes people really happy Mm -hmm. because it's just like ridiculous.
0: We'll get right back to our show, but first a word from our sponsors. Nosto enables e-commerce brands to deliver personalized digital shopping experiences at every touchpoint across every device. Designed for ease of use, Nosto empowers brands to build, launch, and optimize one-to-one omni-channel marketing campaigns and digital experiences without the need for dedicated IT resources or a lengthy implementation process leading brands in over a hundred countries use Nosto to grow their business and delight their customers. As a Stairway to CEO listener, you can take advantage of an exclusive 10% discount off your first six months. Learn more or request a demo by going to nosto.com N-O-S-T-O slash Stairway to CEO. That's N-O-S-T-O dot com Stairway to CEO. Cugsy empowers modern brands to be more agile and adaptive when it comes to their inventory. Leverage Cugsy's prioritization, predictive analytics, and automated purchase flow to always have the right stock on hand at the right time. Not only that, but CogC has an innovative plan B for those times when you do run out of stock. You can run back orders that keep customers happy and beat the conversion rate of back in stock notifications. Get your first two months free when you sign up by going to cogc.com slash stairway to CEO. That's C-O-G-S-Y dot slash stairway to CEO. It is. It is super ridiculous. And you guys do weekly drops and you have to sign up on your wait list through your website. Like you just get on this list and then you hope that you have time once you announce, hey, we're dropping these cookies, like place your order now. And it's like, shit, you gotta hurry up and, and get, you know, place your order. And you were just saying before we got on here that you've been selling out, first started with like selling out in 30 minutes. Then you've gotten all the way down to 10 seconds. Can you talk about how that happened? Like how did you build up enough hype to sell out a product every week under 30 minutes
1: yeah so um let's see so we i think those four weeks of seeding were really helpful because seeding
0: you mean like with influencers or what do you mean by yeah
1: kind of like seeding with influencers like we sent them to like food influencers people we knew that had like a little bit of a following Mm -hmm. like just like people yeah, and the main thing that we were testing there, and I think this is really important because I think it does play into why we knew we would be successful when we launched, was that when people got this box, it's like a flywheel of organic social content that I've never seen in my entire career. And I I tell everyone on our team that has never worked at a startup before is like, stop, take a deep breath, look around. Honestly, this is never going to happen to us or you and your career ever again. And if it does, like, buy lotto tickets because. It's like, it's hard, it's so hard to like build organic engagement. And I think that what we found was there were people were taking pictures of the box when it arrived, then they were taking a video of the box, opening it, then they were taking videos and pictures of each individual flavor and doing taste. But the thing that was interesting about it was, is that it led to email signups, it led Mm -hmm. to social media signups, and then it led to more people wanting to get into that same thing. And then yeah. getting doing the exact same thing when they got everything. And so one of the things that we we were very intentional about was that as people were posting these videos early on, like these influencers, we were reposting them in a way to show everyone, like, this is how Last Crumb exists in the universe. Like, it's cool to talk about Last Crumb this way. We were yeah. also, like, pretty sassy. Yeah. You know, There's, exactly. like, one moment that I remember very distinctly that was, like, very... I would not say transformational, but, like, you know you don't want to like piss your customers off. And, and, you know, in the first couple of weeks uh, we got a lot of hate mail and people were pissed, you know, because we, we basically released like a small batch of cookies, not having any idea what the demand would be week one. Yeah. And we sold out in a little over 30 minutes or 30 minutes. And We sold out truly. So we fucked up importing the email list and we had to, because of like spam requirements, exclude all of our friends, family, and people who'd signed up. So we truly sent our first email out to sell cold to a group of people who'd never heard of last crumb, but just got to our landing page and had never been told what we sell, what's in the box or how much it costs.
0: Oh, so they got mad about the cost.
1: No, well, they got mad because then they didn't get the cookies. So Uh like, it was funny because it sold out. And like, for me, it was a big like validator in that we like, holy cow, people want this and people we don't know want this. And then I think the big transformational event that I was like talking about was that as weeks went on and we had more people that were frustrated that they couldn't get a box of cookies, they like would make some like comment in our comments. And then our social media guy, Petey, he commented like, looks like somebody needs a cookie. Right. And I was like, oh my God, like you can't do that. Like this Talk goes against like customer service. Way. Like yeah. this is such a horrible thing. And then the pile on of people loving it and basically saying like, no, we get it. This is what Last Crumb is. This is your voice. Right. We are part, like we're cookie monsters with you basically. You're cookie like, whole... monsters.
0: You turned cookie monster into a cookie snob. That's totally. what when your posts say, literally. I love that post. hundred percent hilarious. I mean it is contagious on social media, I have to say. I have literally I never post on my Instagram. I haven't posted probably in over a year. I get your box of cookies and I'm doing a video. And I'm like, well, who am I? What am I doing? No one's no one will even watch this. No one cares and follows me but, see, the but thing I still is they wanted they do to do it. it. And
1: yeah. they care. And that's I think the thing that's like game changing about Last Crumb is that you you will drive a significant amount of engagement to us if you're Matt on the street some random guy who got a box of cookies or if you're a celebrity influencer and what we're finding is that like it's not about like you know people so one of the things that people are frustrated about in the beginning was beyond just getting um access to a box because they truly didn't believe there was a little conspiracy theory going on on Instagram for a that while. There's that no real cookies going on. There's no people. actual cookies for sale. And these people are just making like this up and it's a total yeah. marketing scheme, which uh-huh. would have been entertaining and kind of fun, but that right. wasn't the case. We were increasing production like 50% week over week, trying yeah. to like, we didn't know how many people would really buy them. And we are so early as a company. Um, it, yeah. It, it was just like kind of the craziest, I don't know. It was the craziest thing I've ever been a part of.
0: You and it still is, I guess, Shopify, you're literally you've broken Shopify.
1: I, I mean, I, that was like it was funny because that came up on a call and they're like, can we break Shopify if we sell out too fast? And I was like, if we break Shopify, the the U.S. economy is going to fail because there's too many like other stores on Shopify and they're too reliable. Like, I don't think we're we have that kind of power. That would be really great, though. <laughs> but
0: Apple Pay customers have been beating out the others right? There's a conversation out there about Apple Pay being the fastest way to make sure they get their cookies on time.
1: A hundred percent. So one of the things that we found that we learned about in the comments was that we, so we were selling out in for like a bunch of weeks uh, in less than 10 seconds. And Mm -hmm. what we found was that the only people who were getting cookies had Apple Pay because (laughs) the add to cart double click face thing scan process was faster than any of the other payment options. And people mm. were leaving comments like, no, you've got to sign up for Apple Pay. This is how you get them. Yeah, and it was like, like a whole thing. Yeah, which is like really fun. And so uh, how yeah, to hack I think last
0: crumb, <laughs> how,
1: how to hack last crumb is use yeah. Apple Pay,
0: right? <laughs> There's going to be like Reddit forums and like, all these uh, articles about how to get those cookies. I mean, that's incredible the hype that you guys have created. I mean, honestly, it's, it's really impressive. And you've only even sold cookies for like eleven weeks. That's insane. Yeah. Where Where do you take it from here? Um,
1: you know, I think that it goes back to kind of the same way that we came to doing drops is how do we have like a ridiculous customer experience? How do we maintain like our brand integrity? And then what are some really interesting, cool sales or business model tactics that we can use that pay those first two off? So like, um. You know, we've talked about some like interesting membership stuff. Mm -hmm. We've talked about, I mean, we've talked about like doing a store uh, in, not in the U S actually, like, you know, thinking of it like a luxury fashion brand. Um, We've talked about all kinds of like, we talked about doing an omakase cookie restaurant where we try to get a Michelin star, you know, that's a crazy idea. That's the kind of, I think, big thinking that like we're thinking about. And I think that for right now, you know, we were growing ridiculously fast. And our goal is to get cookies into people's hands, but to do it in like an ultra premium way, like, you know, you're not going to find us, uh, you know, sold in 7-Eleven tomorrow or anything like that. We really like feel that that brand integrity is the most important. And so I wouldn't say that, you know, we have some interesting stuff that we're going to try with some drops and like different models around that. But for the next like six months, 12 months, it's probably going to be a little business as usual. Um, and focusing on our site and just like keeping it really tight Mm -hmm. and like doing some interesting stuff. And I think we'll play around with maybe some, uh, new flavors and, you know, maybe a new collection, but I think that, you know, we look at ourselves as kind of like the intersection of like luxury gifting, fashion, and then CPG. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's why this resonates so well is because the people who get it they're like, not only get it, they're all in. Right. And I think, that, and, and I think there's something- think there's some my
0: fashion background or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Same. And I think yeah. that's what really drew me to it is it's like, whoa, this is like, you can have a collection of cookies like that changes yeah. seasonally. That's so a cool. wild thought that yeah. I think is really neat. And so, and I also think that because, you know, we're per- positioning ourselves as the most luxurious cookie brand, it gives us a lot of latitude to do some really th- weird things. Like, you know, if Rolex is listening, like, We'd be interested Mm -hmm. in collaborating with you. That would be a really cool. I would love to sell like a fifty thousand dollar Rolex that comes with like one cookie. That would be cool. Right.
2: Right. Let's do it. And I think
1: that that's like some of the stuff that we're we have some really interesting ideas like for the future. Um, but right now is just like keeping our brand integrity high and Mm -hmm. staying focused and disciplined. Which, as you know, like that's I think what separates like a good company and a company that exists beyond you know twelve months and everybody else is like. Just staying disciplined and saying no is I think, a lot of my role right mm-hmm. now, because we have been approached by a lot of people to do collaborations and like interesting things. and it, we that would be so distracting for us right now because yeah. what the most there's people begging us to get our cookies just as they are, and I think <laughs> just that to
0: sell it online for just God's to sake, get the just once yeah, a yeah.
1: We don't, you know, and so I think like we're thinking a lot about like the customer experience and like how do we continue to make that high? And, you know, I don't foresee a time where, you know, you're going to be able to log onto the site and just get cookies at any time you want. But
0: really, you don't think you'll ever do that or not ever, but I think we will maybe
1: not anytime soon. And I think that that's great. Yeah. Like it is what it is. And I think there's something that's kind of fun about like, the experience of like just even getting last crumb. Like I have good friends who honestly, I hope aren't listening to this because they could call me and say like, hey, is there any possible way I could get a box? And I would figure out a way to get them a box. And they don't, they wait in line. They like are in because the experience and like the if that's the fun part of this whole thing is that you kind of accomplish something by getting it and you are excited when it arrives and you're delighted and you eat it and then it's gone. And I think that's the other thing. So you only showed those two cookies, but the box yeah. comes with 12. Yes. And all 12 are different flavors.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And yeah. the thing that's that's great and like interesting about it is that like they're really nostalgic. Like they take mm-hmm. you back. Like, like the thing that was really interesting for me is like I um like Donkey Kong is our banana cream pie flavor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And growing up, a good friend of mine, his mom would make me a pie every year for my birthday. Her birthday was the day before. And it was a banana cream pie, and it was like my favorite thing ever. And it's like just like a really special thing for me every year that she's done. And we eating that cookie, it like totally took me back to not even that. but I had the cake last September on my birthday, but like it just made me think of that. And I think that that's like a really special thing where you food. I think does have an emotional connection
2: mm-hmm. with
1: people, and you remember great restaurants and you remember these like really fun dining experiences. And I think that because people are sharing our cookies, because they have this like interesting unboxing and wow factor. I think that it, it, in a way, it almost creates an experiential dining, like thing that happens with you and the people you're with that you remember, and you kind of want again. And the thing that's fun about like, I think shared dining experiences is that you want to share them with other people. Right. Like, it's not like you want to go eat at, you know, 11 Madison park and then not tell anyone and then never go again. Uh, you know, you want to like go again and you want to bring someone new because you wanted to experience their first time there. And I think that that's, I think that's a really like powerful emotional connection that like, I think we tap into a little bit.
0: Yep, absolutely. I mean, when you name a cookie better than sex, it's definitely a conversation starter. (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very true
0: I read my video I'm like better than sex we'll see about that um, <laughs> it's kind of like doomed if you do doomed if you don't if I'm like yeah it is then it's like oh well she has not had very good sex and then if I'm like no it's not then it's like oh maybe it's not a great cookie right so you can't answer <laughs> the question you're wrong either way <laughs> totally um, <laughs> So you're the entire marketing of this company is basically happened on social media, right? It sounds like that is how you have gotten to X number in sales, which we won't disclose, but you guys are killing it right now in just 11 weeks and it's all from Instagram.
1: Yeah. So I think that one of the things that we did early on that was like really important was that we realized email addresses were going to be the most important thing. And I think that in the past I've sprayed and prayed when I've worked at other companies on marketing. It's like mm-hmm. you kind of you need to be everywhere. We need to have a Twitter. We need to be on Facebook. And in this case, like we were really intentional about saying, we think our people are going to be on Instagram because the brand is really visual and they yeah. can talk about it and they can post about it. And it looks it can look premium still.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and I,
1: I note that because TikTok is very different and we're learning a lot about TikTok right now, but it's not the same level of premiumness and photography and quality that Instagram is. And so what we did was we basically said that our whole funnel is going to be talking to people on Instagram to show them the last crumb experience and make them really interested in it. And then ideally push them to our site where there's no information and get them to sign up for the wait list. And, and I think that it was a really, it worked really well for us because it was really focused I think if we would have had a normal like D2C style site that had tons of information and facts and like information on every cookie it wouldn't have been as value. it wouldn't have been as effective because people would have gotten all the information up front not mm-hmm. you know and I think that we last crumb is a little mysterious and they're you know we're not like showing everything and right. I think that we still don't and we don't plan on it and I think that that What's next is like something that's like really ingrained into the brand DNA. And I think this, I think authentic is the right word to use for this company. And I know that it's like such a bullshit buzzword that everyone says, like, we're going to be authentic. But I think that the way those values that we talked about, like, you know, the experience, the brand, and then the sales, I think we do approach things in a very authentic way. And it actually, I believe that it's led to the like social engagement and explosion that we've had. And Mm -hmm. it's been pretty, it's been pretty cool. I mean, and it didn't, and the thing that was I think most interesting to us is that we also had a lot of really influential people post about the cookies that Mm -hmm. like was unexpected and like, Whoa, that's kind of cool. You know, someone got them a box or, you know, something we've never paid anyone to post about the cookies. Um, We've never done any paid media. And so everything I view everything that we've been doing and This was our plan was this is all part of this like giant experiment of we didn't know a lot and we needed to find ways to learn quickly. And so we had a lot of hypotheses and we tested them and some of them have worked really well and some of them haven't worked as well. And we're learning and we're continuing to iterate. And I think that because we're, I hate to say intentional again, but like because we're being really intentional about it, I think it actually makes it exponentially uh, more effective.
0: Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you guys tested that didn't work?
1: Um, TikTok has been really hard, mm. and I wouldn't say that it's it's working. So, like, that's the other thing is that things just are working really well, and I think that we're in a very fortunate position that that's happening. I think that when we compare them to the channels that work amazing, they're like, oh, it's not as good as Instagram, but it's like still better than I've ever seen on TikTok,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so I think that it's relative for us you know, I would still take any data point on email, open rate and conversion and all this stuff like by itself and be like, this is we've won. Um, But I think that it's more that it's finding the right authentic voice. So like with TikTok on Instagram, there's a scene, there's a foodie scene, there's a Mm. photography scene, there's like people are interested in showing like their food experiences. On TikTok, it's different. It's a little bit more kitschy, I would say. It's like funny videos with like autocorrect and like yeah they don't necessarily feel as on brand and i think we've done a good job of still making it feel very last crumb which took us a little while to figure out but i would say that that hasn't been the like it wasn't like an instant oh my god people get it and Mm -hmm. we we knew that because we sent some boxes to people who had some followings on tiktok and they posted on instagram yeah and i was like oh that's funny them. like you you like like because we never you know there's no guarantee that anyone will ever post if like they get your product yeah but it was really interesting to see that they wanted to post they just didn't feel like it was appropriate to post on tiktok and so i think that that's been kind of like interesting for us just to see and i wouldn't say it's a bit of failure but i think it's it's good that we're not like jumping up and down and we're kind of trying to continue to push and say well how can we do this a little bit better you know, how do we make it authentically for the TikTok audience, you know? Right. How do we make it Gen Z, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's not like our customers are only, you know, millennials. It's We have customers of all ages, all over the country, uh, all demographics, everything, male, female, you know, it doesn't matter, grandmas, kids. And so I think that that, it, you know, it's not like we have a very defined audience, you know, yeah. single white men that live in New York and are lawyers or, you know, something like that. Right, right.
0: <laughs> So you have an impressive background. I'd love to for the audience to kind of hear more about you, right? Um, typically, the show is a lot more like starts out personal, like I was saying, your career journey. So I'd love to highlight some of the you know parts of that because you do have a very extensive kind of entrepreneurial background. So do you want to start with where your first company that you started?
1: Yeah. So, um, that's kind of you to say, I usually try to see if I can push this to the end without ever talking about myself, just talking about,
0: I know we're running out of time, so I'm trying to get it in there. (laughs) The, um, so I started
1: a surf company when I was 18. Um, I was at Whittier college, uh, for undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't super into college, um, or really school. Um, but I love, I I was into the business classes and it was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and we made surfboards and we made clothes and we sold, um, we had a lot of success. Um, we had a lot of failure. And I would kind of describe it as like, uh, I did it for about 10 years, which is, I think, very uncommon for startups. Yeah. And it was also in kind of the golden age of startups and like Facebook. And like, there was so much happening in the world um, that, and I really just like slogged it out. And so, yeah, we we did, we sold all over the country and like PacSun, Urban Outfitters. Uh, we did a tank top that said Sun's Out, Gun's Out that was in like a bunch of movies and stuff, which is nice. kind of corny, but fun. We did like worldwide licensing with Uniqlo, uh, and we did like huge collaborations with like the Japanese department store Beams, which is really fun. And so like we we're kind of all over the place in terms of like premium surf uh, down to the bottom. Um, mm-hmm. And then while we were do- uh, doing that, I started another clothing company called Grover, which was like a premium men's line mm-hmm. that was basic, basically seventy-five dollar white t-shirts. We sold them in like fifty stores around the world. Um, they were amazing, uh, and it kind of stemmed from me just wanting a good. White t-shirt you know good black yeah. t-shirt and uh ended up i ended up selling well in i ended up closing grover we we basically in the last year hit like the worst time ever and this is i think where i learned the most is we had to fire everyone we ran out of money we basically like were like totally tail spinning thinking of trying to raise trying to sell trying to figure out what we wanted to do we're doing some licensing and that it was a lot to like kind of go through that um, mm-hmm. and then ended up selling the brand to a company called Huckberry, which was is a men's online retailer. And so it still lives on, which is amazing. They make great nice. clothes. I'm actually wearing a jacket, a well-in jacket that they made right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Uh, so that's basically like 10 years of my life until I was like 28 mm-hmm. uh, and I'm 35 now almost. Um, and then I was tired and I decided that I wanted to like do some consulting and work with other founders. And so I took little like three month stints and worked like a chain of gyms. I worked, uh, um, with uh, some other clothing brands. Um, it was really fun. And I got to learn a lot under the hood from other founders, which was like pretty neat to see how they were doing things differently. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and then, yeah, I don't know. I, I ended up starting a skincare company, which was wild, um, (laughs) with science, the incubator in Santa Monica. uh it didn't really go anywhere but it was pretty interesting to kind of like go my first foray into like venture so like i had never raised any venture capital in any startup i had ever done interesting and so that was like i think a pretty eye-opening experience in terms of like whoa this is like a whole different ball game um in growth in speed and everything Yes. um and then when that closed um, I ended up getting hired by one of our angel investors. Uh, he had invested in a diabetes company in San Diego called Companion Medical, and they brought me on to lead marketing, which was one of the harder things I've ever done, and really one of the like most rewarding because it was really the first time I'd ever seen, like in my opinion, pure product market fit. Mm-hmm. Um, they it also is a big company they had like 150 employees I sat on the senior leadership team I was running a department of marketing I've never worked wow. in a medical device company never worked how in. did
0: you even get that job <laughs> you know?
1: they're probably you if they ever to listen to this people? they'd probably say like I have no fucking idea but actually I think it made a lot of sense because and I think it was really smart I, I guess like I liked it so of course I think it was smart but um I think it made a lot of sense because one of the things that we did there that was really unique was we were, I think they were like really pioneering in terms of, we were trying to get convert people on prescriptions for this device Mm -hmm. without having to go to their endocrinologist, um, or prior to like getting them kind of like all the way up before. And we built this like crazy, interesting lead engine using our online site. And they were also like building a brand. And so like, I helped advise them on like kind of rebranding a little bit updating their site, building out their whole PPC, working on sales materials in the field, which is like very similar to what I was doing. And like at the surf company, obviously like on a whole different scale with way more at stake. And it ended up like going exceptionally well in terms of like the growth. Um, I I didn't want to, I was, I did it as like a consulting gig. I didn't really want to move to San Diego. I think it was like a perfect time to leave. And they ended up bringing in someone exponentially more qualified than me to kind of take them into full on this yeah. is where we're going um but then they ended up selling to medtronic a couple months after i left for like wow. a pretty ridiculous amount of money um and it was like a really fun experience to like just like totally dive into something completely different right but understand that like it's all kind of the same and that entrepreneurial instinct of moving fast and breaking things was definitely there was friction because like it's hard even at a startup with 150 employees is like, it's not a startup with three. And so it was a really fun time where we were like working really hard, but it was neat to see that product market fit. Yeah, That was like the first time I ever felt it until mm. coming here at Last Crumb, where it was like, oh, that's mm. what this feels like. Yeah. If you don't think you have it, you don't have it. And I think that's <laughs> like a really interesting thing is that like, if you make something really great, and it resonates with people and they want it, you know, you don't have to beg them.
0: Well, so this is the thing though. I I like that you said that, but you also have a business model where you sell out. And so it's easier to measure, right? Because if you just had like a ton of inventory and things on your website and people were buying it here and there, like how, I always, one of the questions I ask is like, how do they measure success? Like as in the early stage, what did product market fit mean? How did they measure that? And I think it's it's a little different, though, right? If you have yeah. these drops and limited quantities, and you're selling out in, in minutes, that's very clear. But if you have a website full of s- some stuff, and you're like, you know, just trying to do a D2C brand, it's a little I think harder to navigate.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. But I also disagree. So I think that I guess I view product market fit a little bit differently for less crumb mm-hmm. because it's more about I guess consumer product fit in that people are so excited about it, you know yeah. that they're enjoying it. you know that they're excited about coming back. you know that they didn't regret their purchase. you know that they're telling people about it. And so I think about it a little bit from that standpoint because we are so early. I think as and and we are growing substantially, so like we're you know we're doing, we're not doing a joke of a business every month, uh, even in our third month now. And so like, I, you know, I know a lot of other founders that do D2C and it takes them, you know, 18, 24 months to hit like the milestone that we've been able to hit in 11 yes. weeks. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that I do know that we're hitting a commercialization scale that is far, like it does show that people do want this. Yeah. And I think when I see that how people interact with it, I know that it resonates and it like works. But I also, I think in the back pocket, also know that we're selling a luxury item. We're not selling like a $10, you know, mm-hmm. toothbrush or something. And not that we compared it like ourselves at all to any like toothbrushes, but like the point <laughs> being that the D2C game is a lot about customer acquisition. And I feel very confident if I, if we wanted to play in that arena, I feel very confident that we could win. Right. And I think we could do it in a very interesting, different Efficient, you know, capital efficient way that also like got those same results. So like everything that we're talking about doing, we've done with nothing in terms of like any paid yeah. media, any pay per click, any search, you know, lead gen. And so I think that when I I think about like our email list is larger than the email list we had at Wellin, and it took us like y- years and you know a, not ten years but like because we kind of stopped going after them, but like it took us forever to get that email list. Yeah, and. This was all, this is all in 11 weeks because we had no emails prior. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like, that's where I feel like we do. I feel comfortable saying that we have product market fit.
0: Yeah. I think you guys definitely obviously do. I'm thinking from the perspective of like other brands that have, you know, they're going the standard route. How are they, Yeah, but like you know, how did they kind of navigate?
1: I guess I would push back on saying like, maybe the standard route sucks.
0: That's awesome. I know. Because it's like,
1: maybe like that. And I think that goes back to like not leading with business model. If you lead with like, what makes the most sense? Like, what are your, what are your people, your customers, like this tribe that you're building this community, what do they actually want? And like, what's the model that works for them? Because I think I talked to founders a lot because I didn't have a lot of people that talked to me when I first started. And Mm -hmm. I think that's like a really important thing. Yeah. And I find so often that everyone's trying to pick a, you know, fit a square peg in a round hole in that they're trying to say, we're trying to build a SaaS. It's like, I'm trying to build a SaaS business that has like really good LTV and a low CAC. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, you and fucking every other human on earth Uh that's trying to launch a business. Like if you can do what you're explaining, every investor on earth will invest in your company. You're going to have no hard time doing anything. Your, your hypothesis though, like you're basing it all on this like weird thing. Instead of saying, what are you actually trying to like solve? What's the problem? What do your customers want? And then like, what makes sense for that? And I think that with a lot of these companies, they're pushed into this, like, I'm not gonna, I don't think VC rabbit hole is the right word because I don't think but that's- kinda. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's exactly it, but like, I think it's more of just like a, that's what everyone else is doing. So like, like this VC is what a rat
0: whale maybe? Maybe it's like a rat it, whale? It's or not it's necessarily VCs.
1: <laughs> Cause like, I know companies that don't raise money who still do the same stuff. So like, it's not necessarily that, but I think it's just, this is what the mass is doing. So like, it must be right. Right. And someone must know something that I don't know. So like, I'm going to do it like that. And I think that I would say that you can pull apart, like our commercial success from a financial standpoint, like I said, is much stronger than most of the companies I've ever been a part of and have most of the companies I know in this short time. Now, You can say like, oh, well, it's because of drops or like if the site was open and I would say like, well, maybe it's just, we figured out the model that like works best for us. Mm -hmm. And if, if you find that same model for whatever you're building, it might work too. And it's not to say, I don't think every business should be drops at all. And I think that we will, like I said, try other things, but I, I do think it's like, it may, it's making me rethink some of the stuff that I thought about like how to build a company or. You know, this is the way that you need to, you know, generate revenue. And I think that what I'm finding is that it's happening faster than I would have expected, but we're going about it in a way that was, you know, different than I've ever done it. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see that.
0: Yeah. And what about fundraising? You guys raised like a million bucks or so. How are you thinking about raising in general? Like how is that going? And and is this yeah, so a venture backable business?
1: Yeah, we, so we're just doing like a small, like little angel round, like you said, Uh, we didn't take any institutional capital. So everyone that we raise money from um, is a founder, former founder, um, or very, very, very strategic individual who has very, like a ton of experience strategically for us, like as we grow our kitchen ops, or as we, you know, go down Mm -hmm. the road. Um, and I think that that was like really intentional because, you know, I don't know that we know the answer to that. My personal belief is that like, I don't know that we need, like, we don't need like Andreessen Horowitz to back last crumb. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I think that, you know, we, we definitely are hitting some, like some serious growth numbers that we definitely need some money to be able to back up with a larger kitchen, with more staff, with, you know, so we can pay off that customer experience mm-hmm. and continue to like build a strong brand. Um, but I'm not really sure. I think about it a lot, though, because, you know, I think that this business has much more traditional like, um, you know, EBITDA dynamics in that like there's strong cash flow potential. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, I believe in like trying not to dilute as much as possible. And I really like the people that we've brought on, I'm like, I feel fortunate that I can even call. Yeah. And I think that that's like been really fun. Um, and so I think that it feels, it feels less like we raised money in a venture round and much more like we assembled like a really cool ragtag group of entrepreneur warriors and like former entrepreneurs who'd exited that like are just as excited as like you were when you got the box of cookies. Yeah, and And I think that got us really excited too. Because that's
0: so less crumb of you, I feel like this ragtag cool kids club that invested, you know
1: it kind of is. And like we know I, I wish I mean, this has been a very different experience, like fundraising for this company. Mm-hmm. It was very uh, easy isn't the right word, but it it was fast. Um, it was everyone was aligned really quickly. We you know, we got to kind of pick and choose a little bit. Um, and that's like a very fortunate like position to be in you know, for us. Um, but I think it, we did approach it the way that we approach building the brand, which is like, it is this ragtag group of like really amazing people that we want to talk to. Like, I don't get, I get texts from a lot of our investors and they're cool. And they're like super interesting. And they're, I hope that I can be one day as successful as they are as interesting or do the things, some of the things that they've done. And I think that starting a business is lonely because people don't know what you're going through. And I think that it feels like even going on this podcast, it feels like you get invited to cool podcasts and you get to like go to the fun parties and like take a picture. And, you know, people are lining up to like give you money in your next round. And like, you know, like that is not what it's like. And it's, it's super lonely and like the highs are so high and the lows are really low. And I think that when I look at this group, I feel like they're going to help really us level up faster in terms of like knowing some of those like speed bumps that we're going to hit. And I think that was like one of the really big reasons is that I believe we didn't need to raise money for this business. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we did because I think that we see a huge opportunity for us to grow exponentially faster than we would have on that slow path. And I think that the opportunity to build the a worldwide international luxury cookie brand is kind of ridiculous and awesome yeah and we found people who see that same vision and are just as excited as we are about like trying to build that because like I to go back to the beginning like the Rolex of cookies is a crazy idea it absolutely makes no sense but it makes perfect sense and I think that like that's exactly what like we're you know trying to do
0: The Rolex of cookies. I love it. So you're CEO, you know, tell us about leadership. Like how big is your team right now? And what are some of the things that you advice you would have, I guess, for CEOs out there that are just kind of starting out trying to navigate what being a great CEO is?
1: Uh, Well, the first thing I would say is find a really good CEO or people who've been CEO that you can call. Mm-hmm. And I feel very fortunate that I have some really good people in, you know, my Rolodex who I've met over the years who've been CEOs of other like fast growth startups or b- bigger companies that I can call and kind of ask questions to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that our team right now is like ridiculously small. I mean, we've started so, we, we're we like, we're still finalizing like this fundraising and that it's like basically going to be, I think we'll be ready to like hire in the next like week or two. but. Our, we have a social media intern who does. Well, I shouldn't say he's an intern. He's um, an MBA student, and he joined us for the summer. Um, and he's been helping us with social media and customer service. The two co-founders, Derek and Alana, um, me, and then we have our kitchen team. You know, we have uh, Jess and Michael who bake and execute everything else. And then we have a group of people who help us pack and box. Mm-hmm. But that's it. We work with like yeah. we work with some freelance agencies and freelancers on some of the like little projects that we have that are I believe in like a highly specialized freelance team.
2: Yeah. Um
1: just because the D2C is so specialized in general, like it's hard to work with like a generalist agency mm-hmm. uh, at early stages because you have such like very specific questions and needs. And so we've been really fortunate that we have a great group of agencies and freelancers that we work with. Um, but I think we're going to make probably like three to five hires in the next like couple months, hopefully mm-hmm. sooner. The biggest will probably be ops. Just like, you know, someone with ops and, you know, logistics experience that like can help us really scale and -hmm. understand, you know, can help manage the, you know, we have a kitchen manager, but kitchen, I call it like kitchen ops and and logistic ops. And my Mm -hmm. goal is that kitchen ops every day wakes up and says, I wish you guys could have sold and shipped more cookies because we could have made more. And every day the logistics ops says, man, I wish you guys could have baked more cookies because we could have shipped more. And I think that's a really interesting friction that like we want to have. Um, yeah. and so I think, you know, it's ops, it's some marketing help because like right now we're kind of doing everything. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then probably someone to help with like econ management because there's a lot going on and I view kind of our online site as a product in itself Yeah. that we haven't even scratched the surface on because we've been so focused on scaling and growing
2: mm-hmm. that
1: it, you know, we've yet, we have a lot of crazy ideas for the site that I think will be so fun and interesting and engaging that'll come and they'll go and they'll change. But we really need someone to like lead that product uh, and, and I think take the helm there. And so, you know, I believe in like a really lean team. I think mm-hmm. um, the founder of uh, Native Deodorant, I, uh, Moise Ali, I think is his name. Um, he, he, I think had a really lean team when he, when they sold. And I think it's like a really great way to build a business is just like keeping it tight, having a a couple of really smart people that are like amazing. And then, you know, you can obviously grow as you need to, but like, I don't think we need to have like a 20 person team by any means. And so I guess, you know, that's the long winded answer of what, what does our team look like? And I think to like other CEOs, I would say like, I'm the first to say, I don't know.
0: Yeah,
1: like I don't know a lot. Like I've never worked at a CPG cookie company before. I have no (laughs) idea how to bake our cookies. Like there's a lot more that I don't know than I do. But I I think that you know that's okay because like I think we we have a really great small team of people who do know and are experts in these different areas. And I'm okay with letting them fail Mm -hmm. and like helping empower them to like have a hypothesis trust it, learn, and then like, let us change to make it better and better. And I think that that's the culture. That's like a big culture thing for me that I think is easier said than done, but I think can lead to great results.
0: Mm -hmm. What are your superpowers? Like what are the top three things that you're the expert in?
1: I'm really good at selling the (laughs) Kool-Aid.
0: Which is a great CEO. (laughs) I <laughs> yeah. that's literally like half the job, I think.
1: Like I'm really good at like getting people excited about like what we're building. Put me in a room with anyone cold. And yeah. I, there's no one on earth that will be able to like out explain Last Crumb. And I, you know, Derek's going to listen to this and like Derek's great at like pitching the company and honestly, he's brilliant. And like, we wouldn't be here without his recipes, but like, I'm really fucking good at getting everyone <laughs> excited about Last Crumb. and. Yeah you know, and selling that. I think that's like a big thing for me. Um, I think that I have a lot of empathy. And I was looking at like, you know, I was thinking about like, the childhood thing, or like the schooling thing. And uh, one of the questions that I was thinking about, if you asked was like, first job, and I worked at a summer camp. Mm -hmm. And I think it's relevant for this is that like, I worked uh, with kids with autism, and I worked uh, with, Kids in the summer camp for 11, 11 years, I think it was, and I think you have to like build a lot of empathy working with like groups of kids and just people in general. And so I think that I find that when I when I focus on it, I am very empathetic in seeing like what's going on with everyone else, interpersonally, yeah. and like what what their needs are, where they're maybe missing something or not saying something. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like really important because startups are just as like stressful for. The early employees, as they are for the founders, is just as lonely. You know, you're being asked to do monumental tasks that are impossible for yeah. too little money, for too little equity, in too little time, and you're expected to like somehow have outsized results yep. for the investors and the team. And I think that that's um, I think that's like really helpful. Um, and then I think the last is that I really love finance and the like modeling side of this stuff so like Mm -hmm. i love looking at p ls and i love like going really deep into like org charts and like thinking about like probably too much you know and it's actually something i work on a lot Um, but then at the same time i really like the creative side and thinking about like how to create something and like what's the emotional connection and like oh this brand element doesn't feel right and like this is how we could make it better Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really you know that i guess left brain right brain kind of idea of Being able to talk to creatives and understand and turn that part on, but then go back to talk to investors and like talk about the financial side and say, oh, actually, this is what like our cost looks like. This is where we're going. This is how we're going to get this margin and like be able to kind of like switch back and forth and then understand that sometimes we're making decisions for one of those two and that's okay. Like, and I think that that's like a really important thing.
0: Absolutely. Well, before we wrap up, do you have any other final advice for aspiring entrepreneurs or you know founders tuning in or business operators out there that maybe there's some people out there that are thinking they want to be a CEO one day of a really cool luxury cookie company? You know what advice do you have for um, the listeners?
1: I would say, just take the first step. I always think about just like you're building a house. Sometimes you just need to lay the first brick. And I think so often, I find myself, and I see this a lot in a lot of people that I, I meet with, is that everyone wants to get to the end. Yeah. And I think that even in approaching last Crumb, I didn't go into it saying like, I have to be the CEO. Mm-hmm. I started with a with a consulting gig for the first couple of months, and it transitioned very quickly into like the role here. And I think that had I maybe gone in and said, I, you need to be full-time CEO, and this is what it needs to look like, and here's my deal. I think it would have gone very differently. And I see, mm-hmm. I look back and think about a lot of really probably great opportunities that I could have had that I didn't, I think, see at the time because I was hung up on like a detail or I was hung up on like, I think the end
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the reality was like, that was just part of the journey. And I right. think that, you know, it's okay to like, know that you wanted, I guess, be the CEO. Which is relative. There's no one who works here. It's like it's not like a like a fancy title, really. Uh, But I think that it's more about just knowing that you're laying bricks, and it's okay, and it's okay to be clear that your goal one day is to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think if people know that that's where you're trying to go, opportunities will start to come up because those are the types of things people will think of you for. And I think that it's also, you know, the buck stops with you. So like, you know, it's it's good. It's good, but like, it also has its pitfalls of like, you know, before we got on this call, I'm dealing with, like, we're renting a new space and like, we're trying to do all this stuff and we, yeah. we need to figure it out. And like, well, who they have to call me? And so I think that, um, I would just say like, take the first step. Don't worry about like finishing the race. Otherwise right. you're never even going to get a chance in the race.
0: Right. It's tough when you're really impatient. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people. <laughs> I, I, am I am too. I am too. Yep.
1: I want everything yesterday. And I think yeah. that's that is usually good. I mean, the easiest way is just start your own company and then you get to name yourself CEO. And it's like, that's right. what I did when Around I was 18. Yeah, and so great. it's like, yeah, it was super fun not making money for seven years. You know, but like <laughs> the I think that like you kind of have to up. you have to like, you know, figure you have to figure out like what you want. But I, yeah. I would just say focus more on what you're learning and like what skills you're building in that all those bricks and mm-hmm. less about like the title and like what you're yeah. trying. It'll, it'll maybe work itself out, I think.
0: It'll all pan out. It'll all be okay. I hope. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really enjoyed our conversation and the cookies. And thank you so much um, for sharing. Yeah, this was drink.
1: awesome. Thanks for letting me ramble on a bit.
0: <laughs> of course. No, it was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks.